My guest on today's podcast is Ian Tan. He's the co-founder of The Ritual Gym, which is a brand out of Singapore that, mark my words, is about to take over the world. We met in, if I am correct, 2011, yes, 2011 in Russia at a kettlebell training camp. Uh, so we've known each other for about seven, eight years. And he's really helped me a lot throughout my career, both as a trainer and basically just a fitness professional. In 2013, he started to give me a little bit of a kick in the butt and started to tell me I needed to open up my own gym. He's like, you've been doing this for long enough. You need to open your own gym. So in 2014, I opened up uh, the Gorilla Strong Gym in Hong Kong. Uh, that's part of him kicking me in the butt. Every time I have a conversation with him, his point of view always brings me into into improving myself. I guess that's the best way to put it. He always gets something out of me, or I should take that back. I always get something out of him. And throughout this podcast today, what you're going to notice, we're going to be talking a lot about business. What I was able to understand, the success that Ritual is having is a team effort. It's not a one-person thing. He, he's built a team. Him and his business partner have built a team that have created this brand and created this thing which really has some legs and is about to take over the world. And it made me realize I myself, I've even bragged about this and you'll hear this on the podcast. I talk about my life being like a gun. The less moving parts, the better. And throughout this podcast, I start to understand, you know, maybe that's a little bit of a, a insecurity on my sense. You're going to hear it when we get into it. Maybe that's an insecurity on myself. Maybe I, I need to let go. Maybe I need to ask for help. I think asking for help is, is the best way to put it. Because that's not something I find out of myself. But anyway, that's, I just wanted to throw that out as a little intro to the, uh, this episode of the podcast. I don't want to take away from it too much. My perspective changes a lot every time I talk to Ian. And I hope it's a good listen for you guys. Let's get into it. Man, man. Dude, testing, now, testing, testing, one, two, three. Now it's incredible. <laughs> it's too good now. It's, now. Now the sound quality is better than the content. <laughs> I, I, dude, I'm going to tell, tell you something. I, I, what I've learned in life is spend a few dollars on shit. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Don't, don't, uh, don't try to skimp out. I tried using this free software uh, to, to record last week, and that's really what messed everything up. I try to tell Alex that all the time. Right. I'm but... probably a little too far the other way though. Like I, I pay for shit too easily just <laughs> so I don't have to deal with the problem. Dude, you know what I did? Okay, so uh, we're basically recording from now, so we're just we're just into this. Uh, oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I, you know, there's no need for a official introduction. But um, so I ended up getting this call recorder software, which was only like ten bucks. But then I upgraded to the premium for an extra fifty US. You know. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, what does it do? It just allows you to adjust the volume, you know, the premium version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah. whatever. Anyway, nice. thanks for doing this again, man. What up, man? Nah, not Absolutely. a whole lot, man. Not a whole lot. Thanks for doing this again. Like, yeah, spend a few dollars on some software, man. 
I don't know what, what it's like on your side, but on my side, uh, I'd say every 10 seconds or so, there's a bit of a drag in your voice. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, hold on. I have an idea. Let me just turn off my... I, I don't... Turn off your Wi-Fi or something? Yeah. I'm telling you what, man. Because I, 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 I turned my Wi-Fi off, too, because sometimes it does that. Yeah, it, it, it just overrides. Uh, so I'm just going off of 4G. Yeah, it just overrides. Spain, the internet in Spain sucks, man. Mm-hmm. What, what I'm learning about Spain is a lot of the things are, are still like two generations behind. Yeah. Do you know? Like, so the, their internet is not very good. Their, their phone service is not very good. Uh, no, nobody uses social media to save their life. Really? Yeah. You know, what, you know how to, to, to get around things here in Spain? I have to go and hand deliver flyers everywhere. Which is kind of cool because it brings back the old school style of marketing and, uh, and that's kind of Yeah, but, I don't know. It sounds, sounds silly to me. But uh, maybe we're so spoiled in Asia that we're so used to social media and paying for everything to get, to get done where here is... It's just a little bit different, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. it's a little bit slower. How's that audio? Is that better now? Uh, you haven't... Uh, your voice hasn't dragged at all yet. So. Okay, good. Yeah, it's probably my phone. Yeah. Yeah. Bit. Seems yeah. clear now. Okay. Good, dude. Let's talk about ritual again. So we're doing this How you for, doing, for, man? for. Yeah, I'm doing good <laughs> for uh, for the people that are listening, man. We're doing this for the second time because the first time just messed up, as you obviously heard. Mm-hmm. I'm glad but, it was with me though versus someone else. Cause yeah, we absolutely. Know each other really well. Yeah, that was cool. But you know what was what was cool was because I was still able to listen to the whole thing. We were so philosophical at the first like five minutes, you know. <laughs> that will probably never get recreated ever again. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> on, on, to, on to the next one. On to the next one, man. I, on I, I will live in this version of reality. Oh, it says poor network connection uh, right here. Well, let's, what we'll, is going on? It sounds good on my end. We're just going to try to grind through this. <laughs> just fuck it. This fuck is, it. We're going. We're just going to grind through this one, man. And if we have With to or without it, you, I'm, I'm on. I'm yeah. moving on. If we have to record this a third time, we will. Dude, all right, man. All right. I want, to talk, I want to talk about ritual, and uh, there's a couple of things that I missed in that last one, so I'm going to talk about them now. All right, let's but, do uh, this. But, so in 2012, right, we were in this dodgy hotel room in Japan. That's uh, right. We were, we were lifting there, and you told me this whole idea for ritual, right? You want to do this, mm-hmm. this, this, this gym with pods and a smoothie bar and, and classes and all this stuff, but I never really asked you, how you where you came up with the idea. Like you just, it just this is when we were chugging the green drinks, right? Yeah, we yeah, established we this the last time. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that's, I remember having that moment too because we both used to drink a lot and party a lot. Yeah, oh yeah. We were in this dodgy hotel room in Tokyo together and we were chugging green drinks with no booze in them. Yeah. It was, it was a weird moment because life had become that. That was so weird, man. Yeah. Sorry, what was your question? Sorry, I wasn't really paying your attention. I, we talked about ritual the last one, but we didn't actually talk about how you came up with it. Did it just pop up in your head, or you guys were just yeah, sitting around? Yeah, no, I mean, going on, you know? no, it was it was kind of uh, born out of frustration. I mean, for for quite a few years before that, I was running uh, uh, my own gym, a personal training studio. Yeah, yeah, so which, I've tra- I, which I've trained at myself. That's right. Well, I've known you for a long time. We old. We are old. Dude, you know when you think about it, when you look back, right? When you look back at so we met in two thousand eleven in Russia. Uh, and when you look back at the whole thing, it's only kind of been what eight years, seven years. But that's yeah. se- but that seven years we've had a lot of history in that seven years is wild. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is true. I read the I read the study that if you have a friend for more than seven years, that's probably going to be a friend for the rest of your life. So hmm. it looks like we're fucked because we're stuck with each other. Yeah, we're fucked. 
<laughs> anyway, yeah, no, carry on, man. Let's go back to your ritual. Uh, yeah, so, so, so um, it started because I had, you know, a series of frustrations um, from my end as, as the service provider. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I got closer and closer to my clients who were really appreciative of the service I was providing, but they had a set of frustrations that they were dealing with, too. Um, and over time, it just became uh, such a large problem in my head that I wanted to solve. And when I combined that with the realization that the fitness industry, the traditional model of it, hadn't evolved in, in two or three decades, then I realized like there really is some room for innovation here. So I had, I had sort of the, the original pieces, the original, original components of Ritual for a while. I had, I had the name Ritual and mm-hmm. the, the basic idea of Ritual before I even opened Thrive, which was my first gym. But I knew that I didn't quite have it fully fleshed out, and I also didn't have the business acumen to kind of realize the idea fully, because I don't have a business background. Like, I have a psychology and exercise background, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. A few years later, I met Brad, my business partner, Brad, who's now one of my best friends, and we were training together. It was either his first or second pro fight, uh, Mm -hmm. MMA fight. He doesn't doesn't, uh, fight anymore, but he used to. Oh, did he stop? Is is, is he done with fighting now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, also really busy being CEO of Virtual, so (laughs) (laughs) don't really think he has the time, you know what I mean? But once uh, we got really close and we got along on May, many levels I felt comfortable enough to tell him about the whole thing and basically we had one other friend uh, involved and basically the three, uh, I pitched the idea to two of them and I really trusted Brad's business acumen because he has this extensive commercial and, and entrepreneurship um, background yeah so yeah. He's a business so guy, right? yeah so we just kind of went to the whiteboard and put down all the frustrations from my end and all the frustrations from the consumer end, and it started there man I think from from that meeting, it was something like six or eight weeks later, the business was born. Like, we, we opened the doors something like six to eight weeks later, which was fucking insane. That's really quick from, from concept. I, I know. I don't, concept I don't to the know business why starting. we did that. I don't know why we did that. I was still running the other gym at the same time, kind of just, I don't really know why we didn't. <laughs> you know but what? That, that, is, that is the thing, though, right? When you're passionate about something. I mean, it's such an overused word. I actually roll my eyes now at myself when I use the word passion. But mm-hmm. it, there's something that happens when you cannot forget about the idea. Actually, Brad said that to me. He had called his his business partners in his previous company, and he had resigned after X amount of years with them. Uh, he called me and he said, "Hey, let's let's do this because I cannot stop thinking about this idea, uh, and I think it really has legs." And then you know, I mean, one one thing led to another. So. It's one of those things when you have that thing that you can't shake, you can't forget about it, then you kind of have to, it's almost like you don't have a choice. You just have to roll with it. Dude, that's the best way to do it. Like when some, the minute you come up with an idea, you have to execute. You know, a client of mine, an old client told me, a fantastic idea doesn't mean shit if you don't do anything with it, right? Yeah, and execution is right? everything. But if you can have a really bad idea, a terrible idea, and execute it, and you can make millions of dollars out of it. Yeah, you know, he 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 yeah. told me that. Not that I mean, not that that's the way to go, but but I think there's. Yeah. It seems like the right thing. To no, do. no, no I, I I agree with the vibe of that. Like you can have you can have a pretty good idea, and you can have you can have an amazing idea, and depending on the teams that you put on those ideas, the mediocre idea um, might actually end up going further because you got a bunch of people who who know how to execute, who are kind of who have that discipline and who are motivated to kind of see it through. Which is really freaking hard to find, man. Like as, Absolutely. Uh, it's actually one of the things that I'm 
probably most most appreciative of or most thankful for is this crazy amazing team that I have uh, around me at, at, at Ritual. I mean, there's there's so much that needs to get done, and the beautiful thing for me was a few years ago when we hit the point where we intentionally started hiring people who were better than us, like much better than us at specific areas so they could take over areas of the business. Mm -hmm. That was, I mean, it was a bit of a scary moment for me because I had never been in that position before. I had never done that before. But, you know, a couple of months into it, once we made that the first couple of really, really crucial hires or promoted a couple of people from within to really sort of take charge, beautiful things started happening, man. Like, I got people running our outlets here in Singapore right now who are doing it way better than I ever ran a gym. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. When in doubt, refer out, man. Get get <laughs> get other people, and then and then make them yours. Although although <laughs> although I although you know I, I that being said, I feel the the best people that we have. So just speaking from my experiences, promoting from within seems to be the way to go because you got people who you can trust, know your brand. Yeah. And yep. And what you stand for, and how how and the culture of of your team, and and you've had you know x amount of months or years getting to know them, so you so it's more likely that your impression of them is sort of fully developed, and and you're not going to kind of get blindsided by anything, you know? Yeah, business is such a weird thing, man. Like this is where I have uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm not the best businessman on the planet. Yeah, I can talk I, well. I don't even know what that means. I, I can talk well. I, I I can come up with really cool images like websites and and, and stuff like that. But uh, I've always uh, I've always like not taken advantage of the of the business. What's the word I'm looking for? Growth. How to grow a mm. business. I've always kind of just stayed in my own shell and just kind of done my own thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I'm trying to change that perspective a little bit, you know, and and try I mean, to I, I, be more business I, I have... savvy, I guess. Yeah, 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 and I and I, I know exactly what you mean. It's it's that feeling is the reason why I knew that I needed to find the right person to 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 build ritual with, mm -hmm. um, because I didn't have the business acumen. And sure, it's not it's not just a school thing. It's not really about going to the right school to get the right skill set. It's, I mean, there are many many ways to acquire that skill set. It's logical for people to be strong in certain areas and not so strong in other areas. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think yep. that's a huge a huge oversight from a lot of people in our industry. It, you get a lot of people like you and me who had these great ideas, who who had their hearts in the right places, and who knew, who know a lot about training or, or whatever your thing is, who don't realize that running a business is you, you can't fuel it on passion. There's that word again. You can't. It do, it doesn't run on that. You know what I mean? You yeah, need exactly. to. You need to figure out how to make the gears turn, and you need to figure out how to keep the doors open at first, uh, and then you need to figure out all the stuff after that. Um, so, so you, you know what I mean? Like, if if you don't kind of pause and and do an assessment for yourself and figure out what you're strong at and where you're going to need help at, and taking the time to go look for those people, then you're kind of you're kind of taking on too much risk in my opinion yeah and you know i have this um, i have this issue with control i like to i don't want to say i like to control people i like to control myself i like to have my life like a gun the less moving parts the better 
right? Yeah, you've you've and explained exactly that. To me the less moving parts, the better. And, and and this is why I always used to have issues like bringing people in. I had someone come in going, dude, I could manage your gym. You know, the one I had in Hong Kong. I could manage it for you. I could get your doors open so the so that when the doors are closed. They're never actually closed. The doors are always open. There's someone working there. Yep. And I used to get a little bit nervous about that because I was like, oh, but then I don't have control. And, and it used to freak me out. But I think that's, a, that's just a, a little knock I have on myself that I need to just get over. You know? I yeah, no, but I, I think it's a really natural thing to, to feel because you take pride in what you do and you've developed this brand. Yeah. Um, or not, not just around your, yourself, but around this, the systems that you're known for or, or, or whatever you want to call it. And I don't, th there was a turning point for me a couple of years ago when it came to this sort of stuff where I realized I found freedom in the concept that by sort of letting other people carry the flag, the ritual flag, and, and take it places and do their roles better than I could ever do their roles, all that stuff, once I started viewing myself uh, and what I do, my role in the company, um, as being a catalyst. So not someone that, that controls or handholds through any of the processes, but someone who from, from ground up explains the philosophy behind it, the reasons behind all the processes that we have and the growth mindset and also all the, all the little bits like, uh, like, like all the tech that we use uh, to get the job done more efficiently, to make the client experience better. Once I explain all these main components, the, the culture and the core values and all this stuff, um, and you see that fire kind of lit in people's eyes and they realize why, why we're doing what we're doing and they realize their role in the company and how, how much their position matters and how much the client experience is dependent on them kind of coming strong every day, uh, playing their cards right. Once you get to that point and you see those things all kind of click into place for people, then you have these beautiful moments of, they look at you and they go, hey, don't worry about it. You've explained exactly what you need. Just give me some time. Let me run with it. Let me come to you when I have problems. And, and then people just take it and they, and they run and they start building and they start doing it better than you do. But once you feel that, then you realize, oh, the control thing was just kind of, for me at least, it was, it was insecurity. It was me not, not communicating well enough, not knowing how to articulate my ideas well enough so I would have the confidence that someone else would, would be able to do well with them. Yeah, so once, once I figured that bit out, it, it, got, it, got, it got even cooler, I guess. Dude, that, you, you nailed it right on the head. You said insecurity. That's exactly what it was for me, I reckon. And I bet you there's another trainer out there who's got his own little studio who's doing the exact same thing, and he's you know, thinking that he wants to control, but it might be an insecurity. You nailed that right on the head. That's wild, Dude, dude hum but human beings are so weird, man. Like, yeah. the older I get, the more I realize the stupid tics that I have. The, <laughs> I don't know, the, if I'm irritable about something or I get frustrated too quickly about, I, I don't know, just everything. Like, when I react in a way that makes me think 30 minutes later, like, hmm, maybe shouldn't have reacted like that. Maybe shouldn't have been a dick in that situation. When I really dig back and I have those introspective moments, so many of those things are rooted in insecurities that developed from, from past experiences when I was a kid or even just a few years ago that I never truly went deep enough with. Like I never thought about them enough and chewed on them enough. And then I just kind of kept pushing forward and they, they became these weird, weird ticks or habits that I have that I'm trying to undo. Does that, does that make sense? Is that, Absolutely. Did I, go, did I go too far there? No, no. <laughs> yeah, you got a weird tick. 
Uh, no, no, it actually absolutely makes sense, man. How, so, it, you, you opened it up in, I think, 2012 then. That, means, that makes sense, right? Oh, yeah, we're talking about Ritual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 2013. 2013. 2013. Okay, so it's 2018. Yeah, January. And you have yeah. how many now? I have three in Singapore. Yeah. I have three outlets in Singapore, and I have Sao Paulo opening at the end of the month, Sao Paulo, oh, Brazil. That's, that sounds so exotic. Um, I know, right? Yeah. And I have Johannesburg opening in the first couple of weeks of April. Uh, and after that, I have Los Angeles opening, Santa Monica. Wow. That's... Yeah, that's, that, that's just the stuff that's currently already being built, and we've trained um, all their staff, all pure franchise deals, all amazing people. I, it's so crazy. Actually, Mook, we haven't talked about this. Like, I, the first part of this year was was insane for us and yeah. and, and my tra- my training team because we trained three franchisees and in I think it was a three or four week span we had three groups of people come through. That's when the whole catalyst thing became a real thing for me because of the quality of people that we were getting and. All of them had the experience level that, I mean, they, they were ready for something bigger. They were ready f- to connect with something on that level, where, and they were ready for a role that required them to, to truly take ownership of something. Man, it was, it was just such a cool experience to, to, to have such great people raise their hand and say, hey, give me a chance. I want to fly this flag. I'm going to do you proud. And yeah, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. That's so wild. So do you have to go to like, like, so you've got South Africa and you've got Brazil, right? Yeah. Do you have no, to look, go to I, those? Because those see, are two no, of like the I, most I dangerous see, places no, in I, the I world. See, I see, actually, actually not really. Uh, J- uh, Johannesburg and Sao Paulo are, are fine, especially oh, if you right? go to the right places. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 cool, the cool thing is every time we go to these places, um, we're there with, with people from there. So it's it's not really ever an issue. Yeah, they tell um, you they tell you how to stay safe, right? <laughs> but 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 that but that being I, but it's it's so funny that we have these impressions of countries because of what we read in the news and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Because they're just people like all of us, right? Like, I mean, it's it's kind of like before people come to Singapore and then they think you're gonna get fined for everything and you're gonna get caned if you do something wrong and if you chew gum, they're gonna arrest you, right? That's, I mean, that's what, all bullshit, yeah, yeah. Right, right, but then you land here like, oh, wait, this is just like every other city, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I, I, I look at Brad now, who obviously as, as the, guy, the guy sort of leading the charge in terms of developing the, the, the franchise side of the business, he's traveling so much right now, like I feel so bad. He's, when, if he's in Singapore for more than two weeks in a row, I am surprised, Wow. right? Really? And, I, and, I look, and I look in on that, on that with a little bit of fear, like a little bit of excitement for sure, because I cannot wait to travel and go see all these rituals that have been built and finish training those people. But at the same time, like I remember talking to my friends and, and old clients about uh, how taxing that lifestyle can be, because I've never, like truthfully, I've never had, you and I used to travel a lot to learn and to teach, but even that, even then it wasn't, it wasn't that that much. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm talking about was way smaller. Poten- poten- potentially having to go to, to three or four different countries uh, within a month. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it's that kind of travel I've never done before, not for work. Wow, that's wild, man. I've been, I've taught at your ritual. I keep, I keep calling them uh, uh, stations. It's not a station. You have pods, right? That's what you call them? Pods. Yeah. Ten spaces. We've got ten spaces uh, for people to train in. And we, we train a maximum of ten people at a time. And you can book on our app 
from anywhere from two days to two minutes before a session. And when you show up, you basically pick a, pick a pod for yourself, and everything that you need is there for you. So your kettlebells, medicine balls, uh, dumbbells, your pull-up rings, your suspension trainers, all that stuff yes. is right around you. So so it's different in that sense from other gyms that do high intensity interval training because you don't you don't go station to station. So you're not sharing sweaty equipment with each other. And yeah, so I mean, the the pitch is that you can be in and out of the gym in 30 minutes, which includes uh, shower time and grabbing a smoothie on your way out if that's what you want to do. Yeah, because there's that huge busy demographic, especially in these big cities, man. But do you know, do you know what's funny? The, that busy demographic that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. We we opened in an area in Singapore called Holland Village, which is yep. uh, a really a really cool spot that's got lots of shops and restaurants, that kind of thing. It's closer to residential areas and a shopping district more than anything. So it's definitely not um, the busy sort of downtown crowd. Yeah, you have and one in the op- CBD, right? In the in the business we got, area. We got we got two. Yeah, we got two. We yeah. got two downtown. You know what? When we opened here uh, a couple of years ago, we realized that everybody, everybody has their version of busy. Every human yeah. being fits into that busy demographic that yep. you're describing. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And. Yeah, who, 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 who wouldn't rather do it in a half hour instead of an hour if you could? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Completely, completely agree. Like, that's what used to bother me about kettlebell sport training, right? Don't get me wrong. I love it. I still love it, right? It's still a passion of mine, although I don't think I I'm miss ever, it so much. I don't think I'm ever going to compete again. I think those days are over, especially when you see the Yeah, yeah but I, I've, I've also heard you say that like eight times. And I've come back, and I've stopped, and I, I've come I know, back, exactly. and I've stopped. <laughs> you know, it's, but no. Uh, but what were we saying? What were we saying? Uh, the thing with kettlebell sport training, like for me, it took it took like two hours, two and a half hours out of my day to prepare. Like you know, in my late twenties and early thirties, it wasn't a big deal. I could just pick up the twenty fours and the twenty eights and just go, right? Mm. But as I hit thirty five, thirty six, I would have to warm up for like forty minutes. I'd Seriously, have, I'd have to put the belt. Yeah, because I had the back issues, right? And I oh, have, that's so right. You I'd had have the to injury. get mobile right. loose. Then I'd have yep. to get the belt on. Then I'd have to spray the shirt. Then I'd have to put the chalk on the elbows. Then I'd have to chalk the handle of the kettlebell. All this stuff took time, right? For what is like a seven-minute set. I thought the payoff was just—it was just getting to—it was just getting to me. It was just taking too long. Whereas my approach now is, I can just pick up two kettlebells and just work. My my new approach with kettlebell lifting, I can just go right to work. Okay. Uh, no need for the yeah. belt, no need for the weightlifting shoes. I just want to get in and, and get some work done. And I can, I can blast myself in 25, 30, 40 minutes at the max and, yeah. and, and get a lot of good benefits, you know, hormonal, uh, muscular benefits, a lot of good benefits out of it. So it's kind of changed my approach, you know. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I still love kettlebell but, sport. I no, still watch it, you know. I, but, I but, 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 don't you, but don't you think part of the reason why you needed so much time to, to warm up back then when you were training competitively is because of how taxing the competitive sets were? Yeah, they're a lot more exhausting than people think. People have right. no idea. I, I, for me, it was, it was the rest in between those ridiculous work sets that, that I had to do and also recovering from the day before or two days before uh, and you know the the difference in the type of soreness or uh, I want to say pain uh, that I'm in when I'm going through one of those uh, periodization cycles where it's intentionally scaling up right mm-hmm. intentionally making me making me overreach so I can recover enough uh, with enough time to, to, to compete at a super compensated level when that stuff was happening I I, I had the same experience as you yeah. Um, ju- just because it took me so long to get to the point 
where I felt, uh, I don't know, brave enough to take on the set that was in front of me, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. But I, look, I still and, love and, Kettlebell and, Sport. And, 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 then, and, then, and then I'd fuck around for 15 minutes after I was finished with my sets because because there was still the GPP to do, which I hated to do, right? Yeah. I wanted to just lift, do my set, and, and be done. But there's a lot, especially if you want to put decent numbers up and be competitive with people there's a lot of work to do but if you just want to stay fit yeah like, like i've i've cut all my sets down to a maximum of five minutes mm. right so for people who don't know the kettlebell sport i'm it's a five minute uninterrupted set unbroken i guess using a crossfit term where you just don't put the weights down and you just keep working right i mean yeah and yeah. and and i've switched them down to five minutes because I can work actually at full speed for those five minutes, right? Yeah. Whereas in 10 minutes, so this sounds weird. I just did a snatch set maybe two weeks ago with a 24 kilo bell, right? Five minute snatch set. I did 50 on my left and 60 on my right. So what's that? 110, right? Yep. Whereas my 10 minute PR is like 151. Right, it's not that much more. Not right? that much more because I have to. I have to drop my my. my you have temp. to pace it. I have, yeah. to, I have to pace it. Look, 151 in the grand scheme of things is really not a good number, right? Because everyone. It's, but it's still crazy. It's it's not a good number if you're if you're competing professionally. But if you think about just the idea of lifting a weight from close to the ground to fully overhead 150 times yeah. and that weight is 24 kilos i understand what you're saying i used to have those thoughts all the time about my numbers yeah uh, in the long cycle but for the average person that sounds crazy exactly but for you know uh, what i mean yeah right? exactly but for us like when you know what people are doing you're like fuck that's a shit number <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but but at the same time, and this, I mean, no, no disrespect to to the kettlebell community. I mean, the people I know in there, you know how much how much strength I draw from from it, and how much I've learned from from Absolutely, that all. Man. But OKC for life. But there's, I know, right? I yeah. fucking love what those guys are doing. The Orange yeah. Kettlebell Club. Taking it's over. It's so they just had that competition. Did you see the pictures? Yeah, I did. I was actually that was another I got, question I was going to ask. I got so I got so fired up. <laughs> I was, I was, oh man, that was another question I was going to ask you. Do you still follow the kettlebell sports scene? Do you still follow oh, what people are yeah. doing? Well, I, no, no, I don't really follow the kettlebell sports scene. But John is in. Uh, for everyone who doesn't know, John Wild Buckley. He. Uh, who, he's uh, one of the founders of uh, Orange Kettlebell Club. Um, he was my mentor for a long time. So it's it's not so much that I follow kettlebell sport, but I follow everything that the OKC does. Oh, yeah. Everything that they put Me out, I, I follow that. Yeah. There's real juice there, man. That's real, real soul. Um, and you want to talk about passion. Those there. guys, have they, they're, they're the most passionate people. Too uh, high uh, about that, and that's how their vision has just grown and grown, you know. Yeah, it's so cool. Remember going to Japan with them? Yeah, all the craziness we see up to that was so much fun. That was, it was, that was wild. so much fun. <laughs> it was formative, it was formative for me, I feel. That was what I don't know, what was that six, seven, eight years ago? Yeah, developed the character. It was you know? from, from it was from Russia onwards, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's when I first yeah. met that's when I first met John and Jason and Nazo was in Russia 2011. Yeah, that but isn't, isn't, isn't it a completely different game? This was the point that I was trying to make before yeah. we got sidelined. Isn't it a completely different game when you're training for for health and you're not training to compete, you're training to be healthy? The, the feeling that I get after training most days and the feeling I have the next morning, mo morning most days is completely different yeah. and I actually have 
freshness and, and a pep in my step and and a different sort of energy and it's not a struggle to get out of bed not as much or rather it's a struggle for different reasons you know what I mean it's a struggle because I'm building this business you know but uh, I don't get that same physical like really difficult to move my legs off of bed type thing you know what I mean I was wiped out when I was when I was doing uh, when I was deep into it because I was deep man yeah, I was really into it. I was wiped out. I was wiped out every morning. I'd wake up and I'd make my back hurt, my elbows, because I have a very fast lockout with my elbows, right? Mm-hmm. So my mm-hmm. elbows hurt. Uh, luckily, I have a. Big I still, I still think, I still think you, I, I still think you do it because you want that tricep pump. Because yeah, you don't yeah. want to lose that. You don't want to lose that look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, I'm always going to train the kettlebell sport lifts. I don't want people to think that I'm never going to train the sport lifts. I'm just adapting them for, like you said, for for health purposes now to be a little bit and, different. And, yeah, and and I actually think that it, it's one of my one of my sort of larger, longer term goals, which is also one of my pet peeves about this industry that that we know and love. I think. general population so most people who just want want to include some exercise into their lives because they know that it's going to be good for them in many ways those people our clients they have this idea stuck in their head that more is better faster is better heavier is better no pain no gain and i think it's a hundred percent our fault as in the people who provide the services it's the industry because if Right, it's the industry and it's and and it's media, and you can call. I mean, you can point your finger at whoever you want. It, it and it still doesn't matter. It's it's on us to fix. Absolutely. It, and what I mean and what I mean by that is is that it's on us as people who provide these services to give clients something better to focus on. Right. The the science the science is clear. It's not it's not even that hard to understand but if we we're not pushing out the right messages and if what you get at a boot camp experience or whatever other class that you do is that kind of talk it's the no pain no gain uh, and pushing people to do more than they're ready for and teaching people to power through it with anger and getting people to form this relationship where exercise is torture or exercise is punishment and you start getting trainers who think sort of sadistically and live and enjoy that 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 sadistic role then we're doing people a real disservice because i mean if you take your job seriously and you really you really value responsible training and being responsible for your clients then you wouldn't be talking like that completely agree the the marketing for this industry is is so weird man like the squat till you puke t-shirts the I was having a conversation with a lady um, who was going to start doing some kettlebell lifting with me, and she didn't want to do it. She's just like, I refuse to do this. I see all these things on Facebook of people, they look like they're suffering and it hurts. And I'm like, yeah, but that's, that, it doesn't have to be that way. That's just it marketing. It doesn't. That's just marketing. Yeah. Really, Steve Maxwell says this. If you're, if you're hurting yourself or damaging yourself in your supplementary training, what he means by supplementary training is, is the stuff that's supposed to make you just feel better. You're doing it yeah. wrong. You're absolutely yeah. doing it wrong. And this is a guy that's what he's he's probably sixty now, Steve Maxwell. He's he's what he's one of those probably trainers. More that, than that. What we call is on the other side. He's he's yeah. the older guy now, and he's just like that's that shit's not worth it. I uh, fucking love that guy. I love that dude. He's so cool, man. <laughs> I, he's I'm, so. This is my goal. My goal when I'm sixty something years old is to be like Steve Maxwell. Is is to be that guy that's still doing this. 
yeah. still in this world, still doing it, and, and, and he doesn't deal with, with older populations. He deals with guys like Diego Sanchez. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's the, I, I mean, want to be that dude. Also, also, I love how opinionated he is. He's yeah. just, he's got the, he walks into the room and you just know, you don't, don't fuck around, you don't question the dude. He's got his opinions and he has, he has a, a background, I think, in physical education or something like that. So he, he knows what he's talking about. But then what he really seems to lean on is his decades and decades of experience training real people. Yeah. And think, think about this. He's, he's, been, he's been training people as an educated fitness professional for longer than you and I had been alive. Yep. Right? That's, that's why that, there's a thing that he has when he walks into the room that I fucking love. And, yeah, it's, he's so opinionated. You I took a it. course with him, right? You took that when he went to Singapore, right? I think I, I think I took a couple from him. Yeah. Yeah, I've been following him for a long time. I've yeah. never taken anything from that was him. A long, that was a long time ago. I follow, I follow, yeah. I've been following that guy since, I don't know, 2007 maybe? Yeah. Just, you know who I've been paying attention to a lot lately um, is Joel Jamieson. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the MMA conditioning guy, Demetrius Johnson's uh, strength and conditioning coach. Yep. Um, and I got turned on to it because I, uh, I can't remember, where was I reading it? I have one of his books, but I don't think, I think it must have been one of his articles, but he was talking about stuff that really resonates with me because I have my version of these ideas that I've been trying to push out through, through ritual because I think it's a better way to train. And he's, and I, I don't mean to butcher it, right? But he said something like uh, the, a shift in the mindset. And of, of course, he's talking about training high-level athletes because that's kind of what he's most well known for. Uh, the, the sh there needs to be a shift in the mindset of athletes and coaches about training. It's almost like he was saying you should think about recovery first. You should prioritize the idea of recovery because 100%. all the tr all the training is is a trigger, right? You 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 trigger fitness through training, so you get that stimulus, and after that, everything else is about optimizing what happens after you've already received that stimulus because. If you just think about the ratio of number of hours spent doing that in a day, you have an hour, hour and a half in, in training as a high-level athlete or uh, 20 minutes to 45 minutes as an everyday person. And then you have 23 or more hours in a day where there's all this other stuff doing. And if you're not thinking about that, you're doing yourself a, a, a huge disservice. Dude, MMA, MMA athletes are, are one of the trickiest people to train. I, I work with Luke Barnett right here. Yeah. And uh, he fights an ACB. He's just moved up to light heavyweight. We're, we're helping him build up this frame for light heavyweight. But, yeah. Uh, when, by the time he comes into the strength and conditioning session with me, he's already the day before done jujitsu for like two hours. Right. Maybe gone for a run or done some sprints and did sparring at night. So when he comes into the strength and conditioning session, he's already, he's already battered. And, and he probably has another skill session later that day. He's yeah. probably got some rolling to do that day or something. And he's yeah. a very technical, very high fight IQ person. So you know he's yeah, yeah, always yeah. learning. His, fight was great. His last fight was great, by the Did way. Did you see? Oh, it was fantastic. He looked fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the canvas yeah. was a little bit slippery, which is why he was losing his balance. Um, right. Uh, I think Frank Mir was saying he looks like he's overextending himself. But, but, but Luke was like, dude, the canvas was so slippery uh, that he just couldn't mm. get his footing. And he made adjustments yeah. in the second round. But so, but anyway, yeah. So he he would come he would come in already kind of beat up. Already kind of beat up. So, I mean, we still need we need to stimulate this guy to grow and to get stronger. But I'm not going to trash this guy because he's got to work so much 
yeah. throughout uh, throughout the day. So another strength and conditioning coach I've been following is a guy named Phil Daru. Have you heard of this guy? You have Phil, not. Phil Daru is the strength and conditioning coach over at American Top Team. Right. And if you watch their sessions, he's, he, you can follow him on Instagram, uh, Daru Strength on Instagram, something like that. Okay. Um, a, lot, a lot of it is a lot of TheraBand work, single leg okay. balance work, box jumps, right. almost like a Nick Curson, uh, but mixed in with a, you know with some with some weightlifting. But the weightlifting is not the biggest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not the biggest thing. It's it's more yep. the nervous system, and that's what I try yeah. to do with with Luke. I'm trying to I'm trying to trigger his nervous system more than anything else. Uh, yeah, and it seems to be it, working it, out it, well. So, so yeah, and so so much so much of it so much because because fighting is so chaotic. So much of the work ends up so much of the work done with the strength and conditioning coach ends up having to be stuff related to structural integrity because yep. you don't really have. You don't really have much else to give as the athlete, and if you send the athlete to a skill session without the the ability to kind of fully tune in and 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 refine his skills, then you're doing the athlete a disservice. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Structural, it's that's huge, man. Like I, I, my, a lot of the core work, a lot of the, a lot of it's just keeping him stable. Or left-right imbalances because they hang out with one dominant hand or in a split stance for most of the time. Yeah, Luke is the most—he's actually the most centered, structural person I've ever worked with. But then again, of course, he's as in, you talk, you're talking about his chi or his. Um, no, I'm talking about his movement, his gait <laughs> mechanic, his his, his chi. <laughs> <laughs> gate mechanics, like everything yeah, that's, that's really moves rare. in balance. That, that's really rare to, to have a fighter who's properly balanced. Right? Yeah, I think that just comes from his IQ, man. He's a very intelligent person. And he can feel mm. when things are not right, you know? He, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's really good to hear that. Because, I mean, it's been a long time since I've trained uh, someone high level uh, in terms of, of, of MMA strength and conditioning. It's, it, it's really good to hear that. Um, the people sort of at the top of their game are doing things that I I think you and I could have benefited from when we were trying to live lives that were obviously not right for us. And you you got hurt when you were boxing, and I got hurt yeah. when I when I was doing Muay Thai, and I used to train like an idiot because I mean the only information that I got what was this ten ten eleven years ago? Um, the only information that that was available at that time was stuff that you picked up in the martial arts gym or or when I was in Thailand in a training camp and it was just it was so macho it was so it was so uh, go harder and it, it's almost like pain and injuries were a badge of honor yeah and it was more it was more about the mental game of how much can you push through how can you still fight even though you have these injuries? I used to, my right shoulder used to come out of its socket, like fully or partially dislocate in training as I was on the pads or out, as I was sparring. And we'd pause, I'd throw my shoulder back in, take a breath and keep going. Because I thought that that's what, like, it sounds ridiculous, but I thought that that's what you were supposed to do if you wanted to have a couple fights. Yeah. And you've had surgery you know on that shoulder twice now, right? Yeah. Yeah. See? Yeah. Catches up. What an idiot, right? Catches up. We used to spar really hard when I was when I was doing my amateur boxing days, right? We used yeah. to spar. Yeah, you, you competed boxing, yeah, not not Muay Thai. No boxing, boxing, uh, right, amateur right. boxing, um, hands only. And did you did you did you hurt your back then, or did it start then, or started from weightlifting? Actually, you know, my no, it started from the boxing, but I think it was a result of weightlifting. Because right. I was in my early twenties, right? So I was doing I was doing a lot of leg. Oh, this is when you were a, 
bouncer. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, no, nobody knows this about you. By the way, world. By the way, okay. By the way, world. Mook used to be a bouncer. Yeah, I was. I used to be a bouncer at a titty bar. <laughs> I was in between jobs, and <laughs> I, was, I just. I, just I, I was gonna work. let you feel. I, I wasn't sure if you were okay saying the next part. That's why I left it like that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, it was, it was. I was in between jobs, uh, uh, and I just got. I just kind of needed work, and I had this. Um, I had this work permit for the United States, you know, it was called the OPT when you're not, when you're international. And I just needed, yeah, I just needed some work. Sorry, so I just kind of, I walked, I walked into a, I guess you could call it a gentleman's club. And I worked for like four months on the door outside. I worked at the door outside I was just, and I was a bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> you need someone. Yeah, so, so, so you, so you were boxing people. at that time, yeah? Yeah, I was boxing, but I was doing a lot of things like leg press and uh, mm. uh, 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 quad extensions, because I didn't know any better back then. Yeah. Right? And so, but how, how did the back thing happen, though? I was, I was, it happened, the very first time it happened on the leg press, out of all places. Right. I just kind of pushed, and I was like, and I felt the zap. I was like, wow, what, what was that? And then my, um, I guess, you know, I must have had my, my pelvis um, posteriorly rotated or something. You know, I just didn't, I didn't know. I hadn't, and uh, it just went out, and it, and it became a problem ever since then. Yeah, I remember, and I don't think anyone knows this about you either. But you used to be really bad. Like, you used to, you used to, uh, it used to be so bad when you threw your back out, you were lying down on the floor and had to wait for someone to come help you. Yeah, dude, the second time my back went out, I was maybe twenty one, twenty two, mm. and I did it answering the phone out of all things. Right, my phone rang. It was in my backpack, and uh, I went to reach into my backpack and like. It just it just seized up. Everything seized up, and I was waiting on the floor for my friend. I was waiting for like three hours, like yeah. waiting on the floor. I I called him, and he was like, "Dude, I'm at work. I I can't get you. I can't get to your house." I was like, "It's okay. I'll I, be here. I'm not going anywhere." I, wait, but what's that feeling? I don't know that feeling of so. There's just it's just so much pain that you can't stand up, or it's, it's numb. Like what what is it? It's the it's the most peculiar thing. You've got the sharp pain. And it and and so I'm stuck in hip flexion, right? Which means my body is bent forward. Imagine um, Quasimodo. Wait, as in you, bent, bent, bent forward, and you can't stand up. And you can't you can't stand up. That's why you laid down on the floor. That's why I lay down on the floor because it, right. it took I off. Right. I didn't know. I didn't know that's how it happens. Right. It, okay. It took, so you're almost in a fetal position on the floor. Um, I can't straighten or extend my body. It just it just won't okay. happen. Because this is this, it's pain. There's nothing. There's nothing you can do about it. It's it's like it's like having a doorstop. It just doesn't let you do it. Right. So so then then what what do you have to do? You have to go get muscle relaxants or yeah they 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 I don't know what injection they gave me. They they pumped some injection into me. They gave so, me so so he came, he came, he came back and brought you to the hospital. Yeah, and it took it took. So I lived on the first floor of these apartment blocks. You know, one flight of stairs down, and the and his car was right there. That took about two hours. To get to, to get to his car, it was it was brutal. I, I couldn't walk, I couldn't move, and then you get to the hospital. Then they give you some painkillers in your in your loopy. Mm. Uh, they they so, give you to, to an IV. Is that is that why you stopped boxing then? Because the back was kind of fucked. no. I still I still boxed for like uh, I don't know maybe two two three years after that. I just stopped boxing because right. I got busy. But uh, and also getting punched in the face not so fun, right? No, not so fun. Do you know what? You know what? Do you know, no. what, do you know what the biggest one was for me though? Actually, when I stopped boxing. We used to spar very hard with headgear, mm. thinking headgear is the right, right way to do this. But anyway, that's a different conversation. Different, different conversation. We used to yeah. spar really, really hard, and I would walk out of the gym. My car was right in front of me, literally right in front of me. 
And I'd be outside the gym going, where did I park my car? Hmm. Mm. Like not knowing where my car was. Because mm. like your bell gets rung, but you don't realize it, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yep. where's my car? Where's my car? And then people would notice that something's not right. And they'd be like, mm. hey, dude, let's go. Because there, there was a pub right next door. So we would just go next door and, and, and drink, mm. you know? And then someone gives you a ride back to your house and you're okay, you know? A lot of drunk driving yeah, back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stupid stuff, man. But uh, and you didn't you did Muay Thai for years too though right you went to Thailand and everything yeah but only 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 two fights so two fights. I didn't didn't actually take it very far it's just there's this moment there's this moment uh, at my second fight which I lost where it was a three rounder and at the end of the second round I took a nasty knee to my solar plexus yeah and I got that thing that everybody that's been punched in, in the gut before knows the feeling of when you get punched in the solar plexus and you cannot breathe, right? And you're yeah. trying to breathe and, and it feels like... <laughs> and, oh, it's so and, hard. And you, just, and you just can't get air in, right? So thankfully, it happened right at the end of the round. And I basically spent the one minute in the corner trying to relax. And all my corner, uh, corner man was doing was trying to help me massage that area. I don't even know if that works, but trying to get it to calm down. And I took my first full recovery breath as the next bell rang um, saying it was time to go back in, right? <laughs> and wow. so I, I, I got up off the stool and I walked to, towards the center of the ring and I remember I had this moment and I looked across the ring at this dude who I, who, who I kind of knew actually and I said, wow, I have zero desire, zero desire to fight this guy anymore, Yeah. right? And, and you know, there, there's always, and, like I was such a, I, I was finding it such a low level. It almost like not even worth talking about. Like never really even got to the point where I could implement like real strategy into fights, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and but then when you talk to experienced fighters, right? Uh, they they will tell you that if 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 you have thoughts like that creep into your head during a fight, then maybe this is not for you, or maybe it's time to quit before you get hurt. Yeah. Right. Um. And then it just led to, led to a series that like you learn so much when you get your ass handed to you, dude, right? Dude, it's unreal. <laughs> you learn about yourself, and, man. And, and yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I was, uh, what was I, 20, 21, 22, 23, uh, 21, 22, something like that. Um, and I just had to come to terms with the fact that I was not nearly as badass as I wanted to be and... And that was also okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And because when I really sat down a few weeks after and I thought about the people around me in that, in that fight gym that I was training at and all the other fighters I knew, and I really did a proper assessment objectively, as objectively as I could, that there was, it wasn't even debatable. Like, I was, not, I was not like them. You know what I mean? I know some crazy people <laughs> uh, uh, who, are, who are fighters who will stop at nothing, who... Who, who, who train so hard all the time and have this massive hunger. And so much of it for me was... Oh, no, I lost you. Okay, we got cut off just then. So you were talking about you're training with a whole bunch of these killers and they have this hunger. This yeah, hunger yeah, yeah, yeah. That they so, have and you realize that, you know, that may not be for you. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 when I sat down a few weeks after that, that, that second fight where I got my ass handed to me. Um, didn't go down, though. Didn't go down. It lasted all three rounds. Um, but when I, when I assessed as objectively as I could the type of person I was and who I was, 
uh, versus all the fighters that I knew and all the, these crazy badass people that I knew from my fight gym, that were, as in the fight gym that I was training at. There was no, there was no comparison almost. Like they, I was not that type of person. I didn't have that level of hunger and intensity when it came to training and fighting. Um, and I realized so much of my involvement in the martial arts thing at that time was just out of aggression and me wanting to, to, to kind of be something that I wasn't really, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, These so, guys have such a different mental drive, man, that the actual guys that actually choose to fight all the yeah, time, like they have such yeah. a different mental drive. I had to come to terms with, I was calling myself a pussy when I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not a tough guy. Maybe I'm not. Yeah, may maybe you should just suck it up. Maybe I should suck one, it up and right? stop yeah. being a wuss. And then, you know, as yeah. you start getting your ass handed to you, you're like, oh my God, I'm a pussy. I I this is ridiculous. Yeah. I yeah. Uh, and yeah. I, I came, came to terms with that. But that's really not the case. That's just, you're just sitting around going, you know what? I'm not meant to be fighting. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah that's just not what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe there's other stuff. Yeah, maybe there's other stuff that you'll you'll draw juice from that that will serve you better than this path, you know? Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how tough of a path that would be if 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 how you fed your family, how you put food on the table, was fighting, and so much was riding on on you winning every fight that 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 you had? Can you imagine how how? Can you imagine that kind of pressure? That's a lot. But you know what's crazy? Fuck that. For those guys, it's normal. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's just, it's just what they do. It's, it's, it becomes normal for them. It's, it's weird. Yeah. You know? But... Yeah. And, and, then, and then there are levels to that, too, because you get people like Tim Kennedy, who I just got, I mean, what a fucking badass. He had this stuff. quote about, about there are levels to this thing, and there, I don't want to butcher it. People can go look it up. He had this quote that was beautiful about, Basically, don't fuck with people who've spent their lives perfecting violence, right? Yes, yes so, I saw so, that. So that you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yep. And yeah, when you get people like that, like at the extreme end of people who fuck shit up, right? Yep. Uh, but then that's the cool thing about martial arts and fighting. If you do it right, it teaches you where you lie on that spectrum of I don't know what the word is on the on 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 one end of the spectrum, but on the other end of the spectrum is people like Tim Kennedy, right? So, yeah. But it kind of tells you where you where you stand and where your place is in terms of badassery, right? Yeah, exactly. Did you see Tim Kennedy fight? Uh, he fought his last fight, Kelvin Gastelum. Did you ever see that? Yes. Yes. So here you go. You got Tim Kennedy. We're talking about this guy's a badass, right? He's perfected violence his whole life. He's been in the military. <laughs> it's so he's, good. He's he's a fighter. He's a thickly muscled dude, and he got put away by Kelvin Gastelum. You know, yeah. who's a who's a bad motherfucker too. Let's not he's, take anything away from Kelvin he's Gastelum. A, but he's special fighter, man. But, but Kelvin Gastelum is yeah. a special guy. Kelvin Gastelum looks yeah. like, like a little bit more of a laid back dude, you know. <laughs> Yeah, 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 but the, but the fluidity in that movement, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, that's what it was. It's the fluidity yeah. and the and the crispness and how he moves and his efficiency and, and and this is where we start talking about the variables, man. It's not just about being the most badass dude on the planet. There's yep. so many variables in in in, yep. in in combat. Not just mixed martial arts. Even even something like one dimensional, like boxing. You mm -hmm. know, Vasily Lomachenko. You look at this dude. He's yeah. mo he moves on a different planet. Right? Yeah. Because he's a salsa dancer or some shit. I don't know what he is, but yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but but I mean that 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 it, it, even if you simplify that, right? I think people maybe don't think 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 about this this enough. There's a huge focus when it comes to, for example, knockout 
power, yeah. or the ability to knock someone out. Yep. Um, when, when you talk to a skills coach, so not you and me, but someone who really, really knows one of the striking arts, mm -hmm. it is the athlete who, who wants to mindlessly pursue power, as in how much, how much force can he land on the next person's face, mm -hmm. right? But there's so much more to it than that, and it's almost like if you keep pursuing that, there's a point of diminishing returns, and what else are you giving up on? And is it's maybe more about speed than how much force you can push through someone's face. And it's you know once you get once you have once you have enough uh, a high enough level of each of those factors, then maybe you don't need to spend time developing those more. And you should figure out how to access positions where you can land that punch. Right. Yep. And and, and it's a mistake that I made when I when I used to very very actively train fighters. I, I think to a certain extent I overplayed the importance of some of the fitness variables because the sport that they're competing in as a combat sports athlete is not fitness, it's fighting, yeah. right? So your, yep. your job as training and conditioning coach is to get certain key variables up and you discuss that with the skills coach or the head coach and, and, and then once you've achieved those and the skills coach says, okay, those are transferring now, then you discuss what is the next variable to work on. You don't just keep pushing for a bigger deadlift, a bigger power clean, a higher box jump, whatever it is, you don't just keep pushing that. You got to figure out what's best for the game because you're training a fighter, not not a fitness dude. You're, you're not training a weightlifter, yep. right? You're, you're training a fighter. Our our goal is to make their skills to amplify their fighting skills. Yeah. So that they can use them longer, faster, harder. Uh, yep. That that's the the goal for it. I, I keep I keep. Freaking out whenever I watch Vasily Lomachenko boxing, he it's makes so beautiful. he makes people quit on the stool. Yeah, he, he makes so people beautiful. just go. You know what? I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm getting boxed up. How would you get that? How would you get that good at anything, dude? No idea. He had no. one of those fathers, right? He put him in all of the sports from when he was three years old, or something like that. Yeah, one of those wild. That his father made him do Ukrainian dancing for like three four years right pulled him pulled him okay. out of boxing and made him do ukrainian dancing just so he could work on footwork that's amazing and that and you look at his footwork it's, it's unbelievable yeah he he ends up behind people do you know what i mean yeah like he yeah, throws yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah. a five punch combo and the next thing you know he's behind you yeah that that's wild man i have a hard enough time throwing a jab and walking forward you know <laughs> i know right <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about like when you're first starting out and then you don't know how to step with your feet and your hands and your feet won't talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. It, apparently the, the sign feeling. of a good boxing coach is that they will teach you footwork before throwing a jab. Did you ever hear that? Mm. Sugar Ray Leonard no, said that. No, I have that. not. But it makes sense though. Sugar makes Ray sense. Leonard said if you walk into a boxing gym and you tell them you want to be a professional and they put the gloves on you straight away, walk out of the gym. I, I, I wonder I wonder how many people do that these days still. Just walk into a fight gym and go, I want to be a professional with no experience and just walk in there and say, Apparently that's Francis what you Ngannou do. did that, right? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, Francis Ngannou, he, he left Cameroon, went to France, walked into a boxing gym and said, I need to earn some money. I want to learn how to fight. Well, wasn't he homeless for a while? Yeah, he? he was homeless in France for like a year. What a fucking badass. That, that is a fucking genetic freak. I don't care what you say. And, so, and this dude gets to the heavyweight championship fight in the UFC, yeah. only training MMA for five years. Didn't know how to wrestle, really, from, from, yeah. from what we heard. You know? Yeah. He's just this physical But then the, hi the highest recorded punch, yeah? Is him. 
Yeah, that's so crazy. That's phys- physicality. That's a physical. But freak but then, but then but then it kind of like it, if I was that size, if I was that much of a badass, I would be such a dick. I would be There's a, a reason why. There's a reason why I was not gifted those genetics. <laughs> this is a, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> there's a reason why I got gifted a weak-ass body that breaks when I push it too hard, right? There's a reason why I'm a skinny Indian guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be a prick. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's very hilarious. All right, dude. You know what? My time is almost coming up. All right. This so, was fun, oh, man. We should do it again. We absolutely should. I do have one more question. I want to squeeze this in in the next four minutes. I got four minutes to do. What's up? And I wanted to ask you this last time. I'm going back to your ritual. You have this really cool thing that I saw called the Grub Guide at Ritual, mm-hmm. right? Yep. <laughs> it was the coolest thing. Yep. What, what is that? Is that more? Is that a paleo diet issue thing? Is that keto? Is that or is that just clean? No, no. Like 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 most of everything that we do at Ritual, it's 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 very not in any of the camps. So it's not it's not paleo. It's not vegetarian. It's not vegan. It's not this and that. It's uh-huh. just a really really simple guide of the basic nutrition principles so you can make wiser food choices so it stays very very general it's not in in any camp it doesn't say you have to eat meat or you cannot eat meat or anything like that it doesn't even uh, like a lot of other programs it does not demonize carbohydrate it just gives you the science behind carbohydrates and it gives you some strategies of when you might want to 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 eat more of those or eat less of those that that kind of thing so it's very very vanilla in that sense it's just that's brilliant a basic a basic introduction to stuff that you might want to think about that could complement your training and for us it usually happens look so to take a step back i think another thing that our industry does is it spends a lot of time judging people it's almost like if you want to get fit and you go into a gym you're going to deal with the with, with with fitness professionals who kind of live and breathe by a code, right? They eat a certain way and they train this many times a week and they're chasing numbers uh, on the squat and this and that. And it's almost like as 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 the as the consumer, you walk in and you feel all this pressure to 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 train like an athlete and live like a monk uh, mm-hmm. and 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 to eat, you know, uh, super clean and all that. And I just I just don't like that. I think people are people, and I'm a real person. I, I'm not one of those fitness professionals that lives like that. You know what I mean? And Absolutely. I didn't want any. I didn't want anything in the gym uh, that reminded people of that experience of too much pressure to be a certain way. I'm like, you, you know, you, you you've walked into the gym and and you've made some good decisions, and currently it's just that you want to try and walk through the doors twice a week. The next thing that we're going to work on is maybe get you to three times a week. After that, depending on what you say, I'm going to talk to you about varying the intensity. Or maybe you'd be ready to have a look at one of these grub guides to see where else you can find little gradual bits of improvement. Dude, that's so, that's so perfect because there's so many labels on stuff, right? You're paleo, you're keto, you're the, 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 the labels. At the end of the day, it's just about being smart and, and doing, the, doing the right things to get to the right, to the right goal. I get so well, fed and, up and with I, no, and, and I think I think two things. It's it's also a little bit boring if you if for me if you're just in one camp and that is your camp. Exactly. And also and also I I think in general uh, human beings like everything else on this earth we're cyclical creatures. Mm-hmm. We're season, we're seasonal creatures, and and we we also evolve. We're on Earth for quite a long time. To, to to get behind this idea that there's one perfect way to do it for the entire time that you're on Earth, 
and it just seems really boring to me. And it seems, it seems like we're trying to force a complex thing that is, you know, the human body and, and how we operate into boxes that are too simple. I don't know. I just, I don't see a need to identify and jump in one of those camps, you know? Dude, uh, I, I, as much as I train, the, you know, the MMA fighters and the high-level athletes, 95% of my population is, my, my work is general population. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's tailored for that. And this is how we, how we tell them to eat. This is how we tell them to exercise. Because all the fancy stuff, you know, the poliquin methods, the, the, the diets and all that stuff, that's all for the elite. Mm -hmm. right? Which you love. I mean, I don't which, want which you to love. get that wrong. Yeah, like you love, I love geeking it. out. So do I. I love geeking out on that stuff. But, but the general how much of it is actually usable, you know? Yeah, exactly. How much of it is usable? I'm talking about 95% of my population is general pop. And I want them to just get fitter and healthier and lose weight and look good on the beach. You know, it's... Yeah, well, and, and when it becomes something that stresses your clients out more than it needs to, then you're doing it wrong. Yeah, it becomes detrimental to what they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right, brother, my time is up. I'm going to have to call this All right, one man. today. Thank you very it much for doing pleasure. this let's, a second let's time do, with Let's me. do this again. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's do this again. Absolutely. See you, man. All right, brother, thank you very much.